ask you to take your Bibles and turn to Psalm 98. And we are going to sing at the end in a response to the Word of God. Psalm 98. We have done the one thing that the enemies of Christ could never do. Pilate couldn't do it. Politicians have been unable to do it. No one has ever been able to do what the followers of Jesus Christ have been able to do. We have made Jesus boring. We've made him boring. We've made worship monotonous and predictable. We are so set in our ways and so set in our salvation that we've lost the joy of it, the power of it. And today I want us to return to that joy in our preaching and in our singing, in our worship, because quite honestly, when you channel surf religious television, a lot of it looks like Jesus is still dead. He's not dead. He's alive. He is alive and well and seated at the right hand of the Father and longing for his people to worship him with all their heart, their soul, their mind, and their strength. You see, when we worship God, we pull our affections off of our idols and put our affections on God alone. When we are consumed with worshiping God, we are consumed with our hearts and our affections being turned toward God. There was a movie that came out a few years ago, and uh, I always uh, uh, enjoy, when, especially when something like this comes out, uh, watching people's reaction. And this movie was uh, Sister Act. And in that movie, Whoopi Goldberg played a Las Vegas lounge singer who had witnessed a murder and had to go undercover, and the police thought the best place to hide her was inside a Catholic church and dress her up as a nun. And so they brought her in, and she went around, and she met all these people, and the music in the service was bad. It was really, really really bad. I mean, real bad. And so she started kind of working with the choir a little bit, and before you know it, she had changed the words to that pop song, My Guy, and changed it to My God. And the choir started getting a little rhythm, and the choir started singing and expressing themselves, and they started getting fired up. And when the choir got fired up, the people got fired up, and all those empty pews, they, all of a sudden, people started coming in off the streets. And I remember watching that movie and leaving the movie theater and hearing somebody say this, I'd go to church if it was like that. I'd go to church if it wasn't so boring, so predictable. You see, that is an indictment on the church that we worship the living God of heaven, and yet the world looks at our worship and says, it's not worth getting up for on Sunday morning. It's not worth coming to. 
I may come Easter and I may come Christmas, but it's not worth getting up for week in and week out. It's certainly not worth coming back for on Sunday night because after all, if it doesn't mean any more to the followers of Jesus than it apparently means, why do I want to be a part of that? We've made worship boring. The premise of that movie, which I thought was very interesting, was that she took popular songs and changed the words to them and brought them into the church. By the way, that's what Martin Luther did. The hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God, was a beer-drinking tune. And Martin Luther decided since the tunes were in the heads of the people anyway, all he needed to do was change the words to them and give praise to God because he wanted people leaving church on Sunday and singing the songs on Monday that they had sung in church on Sunday. That was why Martin Luther wrote the music that he did because he took contemporary music. By the way, Every piece of classical music was at one point new. And it was contemporary. Somebody had to hear it for the first time somewhere along the line. And I'm sure somebody heard Handel's Messiah and said, I don't like it, it's too loud. <laughs> Look at the quote by Martin Luther. The devil hates music because he cannot stand festivity. Satan can smirk, but he cannot laugh. He can sneer, but he cannot sing. You know, music has a power in it. God knows it. God created music. And there is a power in music. It can, it can bring joy to your heart. It can help you remember. It can help you to forget. I remember when uh, we were uh, dating. You, you, know, you, you guys, some of you guys dated, didn't you? Y'all did. Y'all did date. Uh, you know, we, we, we'd go out on a date, and there'd be a song. And, and uh, we'd say, oh, that's, that's our song. You know, now we go riding with our kids, you know, and, and we'll have on an oldie station, and, and this song will come on, and, and we'll turn around to our kids, and we've got to give them this dissertation. You know, that was our song. You need to appreciate that song. When Terry and I were dating, we went about a year, and, and there was a song called Precious and Few, or The Moments We Two Can Share, and, and it was a song that was out at the time. Y'all, some of y'all know that song, don't you? <laughs> listen to that godless secular music. Uh, and, and it came out, and we were away from each other for about a year except on weekends, and that was our song. And we'd tell our kids, oh, that's our song. And I used to stay over, and I'd get a little bit of sleep, and, and I'd leave on Monday morning at 4 o'clock to go back to school to drive into the parking lot quick enough to get into Greek class at 8 o'clock, which explains why I took Greek twice that year. <laughs> and that song on the way back was The Long and Winding Road. Because at 4 o'clock in the morning on back roads in Mississippi, that's about all you get. And we, you know, our kids come in, oh, they're playing our song. You know, when our kids grow up, they're going to be sitting around at home and they're going to go, look, honey, they're playing our video. <laughs> God's people have always erupted into song when they have recognized God's great works. Look at the list in front of you. Israel crossing the Red Sea. Moses led them in song, and Miriam was leading a dance troupe. Now, just for the record, Miriam was a Methodist. She couldn't have been a Baptist because she was leading in dance in Exodus chapter 15, and God knows Baptists don't do that. In fact, we don't even get two feet patting at the same time because that's considered dancing. Deborah and Barak sang a victory duet in Judges chapter 5. Hannah sang a song of thanksgiving for her son Samuel. David sang 
to soothe the heart of Saul. The people sang the praises of Daniel to the Lord. The first mention of a minister of music is in 1 Chronicles 15, 22. Kenaniah was a Levite who instructed in singing. The choir numbered 288 in 1 Chronicles 25. The Jewish worship included cornets and cymbals and flutes and dulcimers and harps and tambourines and lyres. Luke records the song of Mary and the angels. Jesus and his disciples sang a hymn. Paul and Silas sang psalms in prison, and their singing was so good and God was so real that the prisoner and the keeper of the jail wanted to know how to be saved. Revelation, the songs are packed with praise to the Lamb of God. Now look at these next two quotes. The sociologist says, if you want to reach young people in this country, write a song. Now, pop culture has figured that out, and the devil's figured that out. Somewhere in the mid-50s, the devil figured out that he could attract teenagers with a style of music, and it would bring about a reaction out of them. Pop culture has figured it out, and ever since the 50s, the church has been fighting against it. Rather than seeing what it takes to reach a generation and adapting that and bringing it into the church and baptizing it and using it to the glory of God. Listen, folks, when we give music to the devil, we give a God-given gift to him by default. We need to take the very harmonies and music that God has given us, and we need to use it to the glory of God to touch a new generation. Something touched you. Music touches this generation. Statesmen don't touch them. Politicians don't touch them. They could care less about the stature of Colin Powell, or they could care less about who's running for president, but they can tell you who's on the top 40 list any day of the week. Second quote, Andrew Fletcher, a 19th century politician, let me write the ballads of a nation, and I care not who may write its laws. Now, if you don't think that's true, go ask some baby boomer, who their senator was and who their representatives were in the United States Congress in the 60s and ask him if they know their name and then ask him if they know a song that Bob Dylan wrote. And they will tell you that Bob Dylan wrote the times they are changing. They don't know one law written by one senator or one congressman or one speech made by any president. You know why? Because if you write the songs of this culture, you reach this culture. And the world's figured it out. And you know what they're doing? They're stealing teenagers and young adults from the church by the millions. And some of us care more about getting our way and the church being for us rather than the church being for those who have not yet been reached. And the church exists for those who have not yet become its members. The side benefit is we get to enjoy it, but the church exists to fulfill the Great Commission to go into the world, and that means that we have to use the things that get the world's attention. And the world is not going to get their attention aroused by most of the things we do. We've made Jesus boring. Now in these first three verses, you see why the Lord is to be praised. You see how the Lord is to be praised. And you see who is supposed to do the praising. Look at verse 1. Sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done wonderful things. His right hand and his holy arm have gained the victory for him. The Lord has made known his salvation. He has revealed his righteousness to the nations. He has remembered the loving kindness and his faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation 
of our God. Two things. First of all, glory. He has done wonderful things. You see, what God has done proves His deity. He has done wonderful things. Let me ask you, has God done wonderful things? Well, there are about 30 of us that believe that. Has God done wonderful things? God has done such wonderful things that neither tongue nor scribe can write it all down. We cannot begin to speak of the wonderful things of God. If you did nothing for the rest of your life but praise God for the wonderful things He's done, you still haven't praised Him enough for what He's done. He has done wonderful things. His right hand and His holy arm mean victory. They are symbolic of God's power, God's power to save, God's power to heal, God's power to redeem, God's power to touch people's lives. Not only glory, but grace. The Lord has made known His salvation. Now, folks, you and I couldn't have found God if He hadn't revealed Himself. He's made it known to us through Jesus Christ, His salvation. The Son of Man has come to seek and save that which is lost. It is not His will that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. Look at verse 3. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. The gospel is going into every corner, whether by song or by radio or through the printed word by the Gideons and other organizations. God's word is being spread around so that all the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of the Lord. Christ died for all. He is the Savior of all men, and His grace has been given to us. Secondly, the expression of praise is prescribed. Shout joyfully to the Lord, all the earth. Break forth and sing for joy and sing praises. Sing praises to the Lord with the lyre, with the lyre and the sound of melody, with trumpets and the sound of the horn. Shout joyfully before the King, the Lord. Now look at that. Three times he uses the word sing. Two times he says shout. He says shout joyfully and with joy one time. Now, there is to be a melody. We are to sing and shout joyfully to the Lord. I love what Vance Hefner said. He said, I would rather try to calm down a fanatic than to breathe life into a corpse. I've got some friends of mine, and they practice their preaching. Uh, young preachers especially do this. When a guy's never preach much, they'll come into a room and they'll practice their preaching or they'll stand in front of a mirror and practice their preaching. And, and I've got some, some friends of mine and they go into the auditorium on, on Saturday and they, they practice their preaching. They just preach away. And I got one friend and I asked him one time, I said, why do you do that? He said, well, to be quite honestly, I get more response out of the pews than I do out of the people. <laughs> Sing and shout joyfully. Now in a moment, we're going to have an opportunity to sing. You can do it with your lips stuck out. You can do it with your watch trying to figure out if you're going to get to Morrison's and tell your wife not to get more than two vegetables and she doesn't need dessert. Or you can do it joyfully. The choice is yours. Listen, if you leave church today and you do not have a personal encounter with Jesus Christ, it's nobody's fault but your own. 
God is here and ready to meet you and for you to make melody in your heart. But I tell you, there's no fear of the average Christian getting too excited about magnifying the Lord. I've never met many people I had to say, now, you, you know what, y'all just calm down just a little bit. You know, so, so you fit in with the rest of us. You know, I love to meet a new Christian before he's met a lot of Bible scholars. Before he gets told that you're not supposed to be excited about the Lord. You're just supposed to be steady and true. Listen, the reason the church needs lost people getting saved and coming into the church because all they know is excitement. They hadn't figured it all out yet. All they know is, I once was lost, but now I'm found. That's all they understand. And we need to remember it. There's a melody, there's music. The lyre, the trumpets, the horn. What he's saying there is that the human voice is not enough. The human voice alone is not sufficient to express the praise that is to come before God. The Levites used the stringed instruments. The priests used the trumpets. The psalmist is saying, drag out everything you got and praise the Lord. Now there are three characteristics of music and worship. First of all, it is a response to biblical revelation. These are songs based in and on Scripture. It is a response to biblical revelation. Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. God says, be holy, for I am holy. It is a response when we sing, we bring a sacrifice of praise into the house of the Lord. It's a response to revelation when we sing the words of the psalm, why so downcast, O oh, my soul, put your hope in God. Let me tell you something. One of the things you ought to buy, instead of listening to a lot of stuff you listen to, you ought to buy the integrity music products that are songs of Scripture. They are centered around a theme, around the Word, around peace, around comfort, around anxiety, and they're all Scripture put to song and sung so that you can, you know what? You'll actually memorize Scripture learning those songs. Learning the Word of God is a revelation of the Word of God. Secondly, it's an expression of worship and thanksgiving for a transformed life. These are songs of experience, amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. You see, I once was lost, but one day I was found. I was blind now I see. You see, I grew up in the church. My mom and dad had me in church every Sunday. It didn't matter how late I was out. I was up for Sunday school on Sunday morning because I learned real quick, if you want to put your feet under our table, if you want to drive the car, you get yourself in Sunday school no matter what you've done. I learned that real quick. And I was there, and I sang in the choir, and I did everything, but it wasn't until I was 19 years old that I knew that I was blind. I needed to see that I was lost and somebody had come to find me you see it's a song you ask me how I know he lives he lives within my heart I don't need all the scholars to tell me Jesus lives I know Jesus lives because he's right here he's inside my heart he speaks to me he talks with me he walks with me he listens to me when I pray it's an expression of thanksgiving that I don't walk through this life alone I walk through this life in the presence of Jesus Christ it is a song like oh God you are my God not you are the God you are my God it is singing give thanks with a grateful heart it is singing Lord prepare me to be a sanctuary pure and holy, 
tried and true. I'm going to tell you, folks, for God to make me the kind of sanctuary that he wants me to be, he's got to get some stuff out of me. And it's an expression that I'm thankful that he's not going to give up until he gets it out. Thirdly, it is an instrument in which we acknowledge the ways of God, whether by tongue or orchestra or choir or soloist. We use our vocal and musical instruments to acknowledge our praise to God, whether it's the Hallelujah Chorus, which was written in a matter of minutes, or all hail King Jesus, all hail Emmanuel, or it's all hail the power of Jesus' name. Let angels prostrate fall, bring forth the royal diadem, and crown him Lord of all. It's acknowledging the ways of God, who he is, what he has done for us, and that kind of acknowledgement takes our misery and turns it into music. John Newton almost died, lived his life on a slave trade ship, but he met Jesus, and he wrote Amazing Grace. Fanny Crosby, with all kinds of physical ailments, wrote great hymns. She could see heaven, although she never saw a thing on this earth. Martin Luther wrote his greatest songs during times of opposition. Why? Because in those times, we understand the ways of God. Look at the cautions concerning music in worship. First of all, familiarity breeds contempt. Familiarity breeds contempt. We can sing something so long that we lose the joy of it. Man, I, I remember, I remember in, in 70, it was about 73, when truth recorded because he lives. And I got that record in my dorm room. They put out two records at one time. And I got that record in my dorm room, and I listened, it was Bev was singing it. Bev sang the solo on it. And, and I listened to that record over and over and over again. And I tell you, that song was so fresh to me, and now I can sing Because He Lives and not even think about it. How about you? How many of you have forgotten the amazing grace of God? How many of us sing victory in Jesus and walk in defeat most of the week? You see, familiarity can breed contempt. We go through the songs. And, you know, one good thing about new music is it makes you think. You've got to think. You've got to get involved in it or else you're going to lose out. And we can sing something so long that it doesn't mean anything to us. Secondly, worship is not a spectator sport. It's not a showcase for talents. It's an offering of praise. Now listen, the object of true worship is not the greatness of our gift. It is the greatness of our God. It is the greatness of the God we worship. Paul was a great writer and a great teacher, but Paul said, my message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith should not rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. Now here's what worship is supposed to be. First of all, God is the audience. God's the audience. Guess who came to church today? God. God is here. You see, God's not only here inside of us, but God's presence is here because he says, where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst of them. Now let me ask you something. Somewhere in a few minutes, the Jesus inside of you in the form of the Holy Spirit 
is going to meet up with the Jesus that's in the midst of this room. And he's going to come in, and you're not going to know it. He's going to come in, and he's going to stand right beside you while you're singing. And he's going to lean an ear towards you. And he's going to look into your heart. Have you become so familiar, and are you just a spectator? That he says, hmm, I think I'll go find somebody that means it. And he moves to another row until he finds somebody that really wants to worship him today. God's the audience. Secondly, the congregation, you're the performers. You're the performers. The people on the platform are the prompters. Now look at this quote, and then I want to come back to this. The popular mentality of evangelical Christians has the professional preachers and musicians who should be prompters playing the role of performers and the congregation who should be performers playing the role of audience. It is bad enough to have the prompters doing what the performer ought to be doing, but it is blasphemous for the performer to presume to play the part of the audience for that is to presume to stand in the place that only God can occupy. Now, do you see this? God is the audience, the congregation is the performer, the people on the platform are the prompters. Listen, in a moment when the ensemble stands to sing and when the choir sings and when the, the orchestra and the band cranks up, guess what? They're not performing for you to sit there and watch. They're prompting you to get out there and open your mouth and do something with it. They're prompting you to sing of your salvation, to sing of the greatness of God, to sing of the security that you have in Christ, to sing of the blessings and the wonderful things that he's done for you, to sing of the joy of your salvation. They're up here just kind of helping you along. And if there's anything that we've done in this church that as I've studied this, that I recognize is a danger... It is that we have come in and we love our big productions and we love to put everybody on the platform and we like to hear the ensemble singing, we like to hear the soloists and want the choir to do a couple of numbers each week. And what's happened is you have become spectators and the audience and we become the performers and that's not biblical. We are on this platform to do one thing, to get you moving in the right direction. And then you're supposed to take over and let the Holy Spirit take over and you sing with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. Now, when you do that, you've been to church. It's a response of what God has done inside of you. Thirdly, worship must not be a point of contention, but a point of unity. Don't get hung up about methods. Don't get hung up about methods. Get caught up in the essence of what worship is all about. It's about the master. And our unity is not in style. Our unity is in the Savior. And we are united in Christ Jesus in worship to him, and the style really doesn't matter. It can be a cappella. It can be with a full orchestra. It can be just the orchestra. It can be just us singing. It can be all kinds of ways. Don't get caught up in contention about the style. Get caught up in unity around Jesus. Number four, music must never replace the priority of the Scriptures. There is no response without revelation. No response 
without revelation. You see, worship is grasping a truth about God and then letting that truth strike you at the very center of your being. Jesus said we worship him in spirit and in truth. If you've just got spirit, you've got nothing but emotionalism. If you've just got truth, you've got nothing but legalism. But when you put spirit and truth together, when you put the word and singing and worship together, something happens in the midst of God's people and God comes down and God somehow by his presence and by what happens in a room, God says, I like that. I'm going to tell you, God's going to show up in a lot of churches today and he's going to turn around and leave because he doesn't like what's going on. Because nobody's there to worship him. Somebody came to get a carnation for the mother with the most children present. She didn't come to worship God. Somebody came so that they could get some recognition. They didn't come to worship God. Listen, folks, the only reason for assembly is the worship of God and the praise of his name in spirit and in truth. I'm not covering the last point. We're going to sing. Bill, you come. Ensemble, you come. We're going to sing. And then in a few moments, we'll give an invitation. All right? You want them to stand? All right, let's stand and let's sing. Amen. Glory to God. Thank you, Pastor. We've come this morning to worship the Lord in spirit and in truth. Not in form, not in legalism, but in spirit and in truth. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord.
first service, we had all the young people down here, and they started doing all these, all this, all these things right here, and I, I hadn't, I had never seen that done before. So I, I accused them of dancing, and there's a brother on this. I said, no, they weren't, they weren't dancing. I said, I know it, brother. This is a Baptist church. We can't dance in a Baptist church, but that's okay. They were just praising the Lord. You know, that's that's why we're here. It's what the pastor preached on. Blessed be the. You know what? I'll soon be 50. Let me tell you something. I have never, and I told the pastor this morning, now I'm not just throwing him a rose. I'm telling you some truth from my heart. I've never in my life heard a better sermon, message. I'm telling you, that's from the Lord right there on worship. I, I never have. When he said, amen, hallelujah. That's right. When, when the pastor said today that, that worship is not our gift, to the Lord, what was that, Pastor? I think our, our, our worship, what? It, worship is not the greatness of our gift. It is the greatness of God. I almost came out of my pew when he said that. That's exactly what it is. Blessed be the name. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed You came from heaven to earth. You came from heaven to earth. 
singing praises to his name, you'll be stunned at what will happen. Because your whole demeanor will change. Had a fellow tell me that this week. He kind of looked at me and said, well, I don't fuss with my wife. I said, yeah, right. But you know what? Try that and see what happens. Try a lifestyle of worship and see what happens. The song says, I sing praises to your name. I sing praises to your name. Father, we sing praises to your name. God, we don't want this to be form and tradition. Lord, we don't want to be eat up in legalism. Lord, we want to be where you are. Lord, you're welcome here today. Father, I pray as you stand next to us, as the pastor said, that you'll say, oh, I like it. I like what's happening here today. I think I'll stay. Oh, Father, you're welcome here. We honor you today with our praises. Oh, Father, we honor you today. And Lord, we pray that there'll be a harvest here today, that you'll inhabit the praises of your people today, Father, because, Lord, we love you. We want this just to, just to all our praises just to be to you, Father. We don't want to be just spectators. We want to be participants in what you have for us today. We want to participate in praise and worship because we want to worship you today, Father, because we stand, Father, 
all of us stand in awe of you. Too marvelous for words. Wow, listen to that. Too wonderful for comprehension. Like nothing ever seen or heard. Who can grasp your infinite wisdom? Who can fathom the depth of your love? You are beautiful beyond description. Majesty enthroned Worship is a summons to sing. <laughs> 